This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and now it's time for the Jack Riccardi Show. Hey, good afternoon. Same to you, Mr. Riccardi. How are you? Oh, very formal. Mm-hmm. Uh, big weekend plans. I heard you saying the weather's going to be nice. It is, but you know, it's super wild card weekend. I'm afraid I'm going to yeah. be inside a lot. Just, yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah, a lot of football to watch. My wife's going to And it is our it. job to watch yeah. it. Yeah. It's going to be uh, a tough I, I, I am going to, if you're interested in taking a ride, I'm going to uh, head over. Uh, Joe Biden's having a garage sale this weekend, so I thought I'd <laughs> see what, if they have anything. Uh, get back with me on the that time on that one. <laughs> interested in. Okay. All right. Well, we got a lot of stuff to get through here, and uh, it's important we get through it because the weekend awaits us. So the dish coming up in our 6 o'clock hour. We're going to take your calls about restaurants. So I, I have a thought exercise I want to do on this uh, Mar-a-Lago versus Car-a-Lago story. The Trump papers, the Biden papers. We're going to do a little thought exercise. Imagine for a moment that you could put these two sets of circumstances, all right? The, the uh, classified documents that were in the storage room at Mar-a-Lago, the Trump or somebody packing Trump's boxes took with him. And the papers that have turned up now at the Penn Biden Center and in Joe Biden's garage next to his vet. And all the circumstances of these two stories. Imagine if you could present these to, well, we the people or to a jury or to uh, any authority. Without any names, without any, the names of who did what and who's, who was which one was which, and no, no names, no no party labels, no names. Where would it go? Where would the story go if there were no party labels? Because a big part of this whole thing is the double standards. A big part of this whole story is the the lynch mobs out to get each one of these two guys. And somebody said in the Wall Street Journal that if we now have two special counsels, right, if the special counsel for Biden clears him, half the country will go crazy. If the special counsel for Trump clears him, the other half of the country will go crazy. I think neither one of them, I don't think anything is going to happen to either one of them before the 2024 election, which means that potentially one or both of the major party candidates will be under special counsel investigation going into the election. But I wonder how different it would be if we could just apply the law. If we could see through the smoke and the fog and the emotion and the, and the, the vengeance, you know, there's the old Confucian saying when setting out for revenge, first dig two graves. The, I, I believe, I believe the Trump papers were an attempt to get Donald Trump 
And now the, the team that attempted to get Donald Trump should have dug two graves because this same scandal is going to apply to them. The defenses of Biden are frankly crazy. Well, he um, he's cooperating. Now, we've had many lawyers on the show over the years, and what they'll tell you is that when a person under investigation cooperates, that can be a, 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 an ameliorating or, um, you know, that can be a factor later on in sentencing, but it's not a, it's not a thing in terms of the law. The law doesn't go easier on you because you cooperate. And then they say, well, um, Biden had far fewer documents than Trump is alleged to have had, but of course... Each document would be an offense. Each document would be a violation. One difference that I think is significant, how significant, I don't know, is that um, Trump was president for four years, and during his four years, he did have declassification authority, which Biden as vice president never had. So I don't know if I believe Donald Trump when he says, oh, by the way, if you find anything, I declassified it. That's that's very convenient, but I don't know if I believe that. However, Biden can't say that. Moreover, we're supposed to believe, and, and his own people have been telling us this for years, that Biden is, is, the, is the very uh, soul of integrity and experience and, and, and know-how that... He's a steady hand. He knows how things work. Trump is a is a crazy, a wild man. A, uh, he, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's reckless. So then the guy that is supposed to know everything and have all this experience does something that looks every bit as reckless as the crazy guy is now a thing. But it's even worse because, and again, we're, we're in early days here, but from what I remember reading last year about the storage room at Mar-a-Lago, it had like a, an upgraded lock and security system the Secret Service had recommended because this was the, you know, the sort of the secondary White House. They had beefed it up, and, and yet when you look at the pictures of Joe Biden's garage in Wilmington, it just looks like like somebody's garage. And then we find out that Hunter was living there during around the same period that the documents were there. And you can make all kinds of, um, you can imagine all kinds of things about that. I mean, Hunter Biden is clearly, purely, I mean, even if you're a partisan Democrat, you've got to admit this, he's just a purely mercenary guy. His entire outlook is basically monetizing his connection to Joe Biden. Joe Biden is Hunter Biden's business, franchise, whatever you want to call it. But I wonder if you could take the names, take the party labels, just call them person A and person B or subject one and subject two and say, okay, here are all the facts that we know. How does this look? How does this strike you? How does this apply under the law? And here's subject two. Here are the facts, no labels. Um, I thought these were some good questions Senator John Kennedy was asking about uh, the Biden uh, Car-a-Lago documents. He was on Fox, um, and he had four, uh, what he thinks are the four key questions 
um, about this. Uh, let's play uh, this cut number one done. Number one, was there a cover-up? Um, uh, the powers that be have known about all this since November 2nd. It's now the middle of January. Was there a cover-up? Who was involved? Number two, what's the role of the University of Pennsylvania uh, Biden Center in all of this? The, um, the Penn Biden Center is not some normal Ivy League think tank. It was, we now know that it's in Washington, D.C. It was a hangout, a clubhouse for President Biden and his people before they were inaugurated. And allegedly, it is funded with tens of millions of dollars uh, from China. What, what's up with that? Um, number three, what's the role of the National Archives in all of this? The, the National Archives was scathingly critical of President Trump and his documents. Uh, they've known about all this since November 2nd or 3rd. Um, they've been missing in action with respect to President Biden and his documents. You, 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 uh, you couldn't have found them with a search party. We still haven't heard from them. What's up with that? And I guess my fourth question is, um, did any member of Congress know about this? I didn't. And if some of my colleagues knew about it, I'd, I'd like to know why I didn't. Mm. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit and our thought experiment. 210-599-5555. We got news last night that uh, Lisa Marie Presley died, the only child of Elvis Presley. And very ironic, she passed away right after attending the Golden Globes. Just a couple of nights ago, she was at the Golden Globes to uh, watch an actor get the award for um, portraying her dad in a movie. And she had done an event at Graceland uh, to celebrate Elvis's 88th birthday, and I know she had a very uh, kind of chopped up life, and she had a lot of just just really a lot of hard living and unhappiness, and 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 all of that. Apparently, she died of a cardiac event. I got to tell you, and and I I want to be careful how I say this because I don't I don't want people to go crazy, but I'm noticing more and more that people, whenever there is a, a heart attack or a heart death in the news, people are asking about the vaccines. And I don't mean crazy tinfoil hat people, and I, and I don't want to alert them and say, oh, Jack's talking, we got to call his show. No, don't. Don't call my show. The people I'm talking about are very rational people. They are not conspiracy theorists. They are not people that uh, are living off the grid or uh, think the black helicopters are coming or there's, you know, they are asking me in so many words, is this happening more often? And I, in turn, have put this question now to a few different doctors, and you've heard me ask it on the air, but I've also asked a couple of people I know, I'm not going to name them, off the air. And and everybody I've asked who is a medical doctor has said, you know, whether they believe or not that there should be concerns about the COVID vaccines, they're saying, no, there is not a, a sharp or statistical uptick in cardiac events. What's happening is because people are looking for a pattern, people have been alerted to the possibility that there's a pattern, 
when you when you look for one, often you can see one. And so I, I, I'll tell you, this is where I am. This is where I'm at on this right now. I, I'm I'm not thinking, oh, we're all going to have a heart attack because we got the vaccine, or every time somebody has a heart attack, it's because they got the vaccine or they got the booster. I got the vaccine. I got the booster. What I do think is really important is we're learning every day that there are things about the vaccines they didn't tell us. And by they, I don't just mean the government. I also mean Moderna and Pfizer. So I'm not upset in the sense that I I chose to get these things. I made these decisions. They were mine to make, and I made them. Nobody forced me. I am upset on behalf of anyone who had to get it, who felt they had to, you know, if they didn't get it, they were going to lose their job or not be able to participate in something that was important to them. I'm furious that people were forced to get this thing. I'm not furious that I got it because I had a choice. But if you didn't have a choice, and now just about every single day, there is something new. Now, here, here's what I read today. Um, a member of the FDA panel that reviewed the Moderna vaccine is upset at learning that there was data they didn't get to see. Dr. Paul Offit, member of the Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee, Decisions that are made for the public have to be based on all available information, not just some information, but all information. And he says the data was not complete, and he's angry. Um, omitting data to the F- omitting critical data to the FDA advisory committee isn't an oversight. Moderna's team, he says, knew the proposed vaccine had nearly doubled the current vaccine and deliberately didn't flag that data, or they are idiots. It isn't easy to come up with other alternatives. And, of course, let's not forget that these companies have full immunity from legal action. They have, by the way, the kind of protection that a lot of people mistakenly think the gun industry has. Um, they don't, but the, the vaccine makers do. So I'm not shocked that there was a failure to disclose all the data. But I am angry that a lot of people made what was essentially not a choice or a choice under duress. And again, I'm not saying that about myself. But um, when you look at people having heart attacks or young people dying suddenly, at this at this point, personally, I am not convinced nor are the experts that I talked to convinced that it is it has suddenly gone up. If there is information to that effect or if that is developed over time, then that is going to be a problem. And it really already is a problem because I was reading today that other um, vaccines that are not mRNA vaccines, that are the ones we've had for a long time, the things kids get to go to school, you know, the rubella and the mumps and the... Those rates are dropping. Now, first of all, those vaccines are have been around a long time. Secondly, they're not mRNA vaccines. But what that tells me is people are now mistrustful of the word, the category. And isn't it ironic that 
people like you and me have been excoriated for not believing in science and creating doubt in science. And if somebody talked about ivermectin on Twitter, they were the worst person in the world a year or two ago. But the real, the, the people that have really done the damage to public health are the people in charge of it. Not somebody on Twitter, but the people who were supposed to administer and be guardians and custodians of public health. By not being truthful, by, by not being honest, by not being um, transparent, by being ideologically driven, this is where we're at. That's what I think. I don't know. I can't prove it. But that's what I'm hearing. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting. You heard Christian mention the football games. We're going to have Buffalo hosting the Miami Dolphins on Sunday afternoon. Um, and there's a lot of speculation that DeMar Hamlin will be, uh, potentially in the, in the locker room with his teammates, uh, before they host that game, which is, w- w- which obviously would be very emotional and incredible. We continue to wish him well. I, I have a lot of people asking me, and I guess this is, I guess, I guess we're okay to ask this question now. Do you think he'll play football again? Will DeMar Hamlin ever play football again? After he, his heart stopped and he had to be resuscitated on the field on January 2nd. And I have to say, none of us knows, but my, my guess would be not. And I base that on, um, on no, absolutely no <laughs> scientific background. Uh, but I look at, first I, lo- I look at what he's been saying since he began speaking publicly after this event. And he seems to be very changed and, and spiritually grateful. He seems to be a man who's been transformed. And I, and then I also wonder, like, how long, if you decided, okay, I am going to play again, how long would it take for the heart to heal, for your body to be strong enough? You'd have to condition yourself again. You'd have to train. This is all before you'd even be able to participate in a, in a practice. And then while you're doing all of that, life is going on, the football team is going on, so you'd have to learn new teammates, new plays, new, you know, I, I guess I, I'm not rooting against him ever playing again, nor am I expressing the opinion that he shouldn't. It just kind of sounds to me like he will have bigger things to do. I, I think he will be sought after to speak. I'm sure he will write a book. Um, I'm sure that people will want to um, want him to, to to be part of, or the voice of, or a a uh, participant in all kinds of causes. And um, he has a long way to go, but it, it it to me it would be it would be fine if he used this second chance at life and this incredible thing that he's been through um, away from the away from the football field. That's that's not to say that if he decides to play football, I won't be absolutely pulling and rooting for him 100% because I will. Um, his doctors say there's there's no way to tell at this point if that's in his future. Now, the other side of the coin would be he's a very young man. He just started. 
and it's not like he would be saying, "Well, I had a good, I had a good run, or I had a good career." He was in the NFL for like five minutes, so to speak. Probably very hard to, um, you know, rechart your course. But then again, he's been through something that if you were ever going to rechart the course of your life, this is the kind of thing that would do it. I don't really know anyone the age of DeMar Hamlin who has been through what he went through. But I, I do know people more like my age who have been through either beating cancer or uh, having to have open-heart surgery or other things, and, and it does seem to change people. It does seem to redirect uh, people. I, I do think that God is using him for things that we've already seen the fruits of and, and we'll see more. Uh, but it's an interesting question, and I think it's I think it's a fair question now, and it's a question no one knows the definitive. There is no, like, right answer to it. Will he ever play again? Senator Kennedy's four questions about uh, the Biden uh, classified documents. Uh, was there a cover-up? Uh, what's the deal with the Penn-Biden Center? What was the role of the National Archives? Did other members of Congress or any members of Congress know? Uh, to that second point about the uh, Penn-Biden Center, uh, our next guest has been talking about it today. Uh, Paul Kaminar is a legal counsel with the National Legal and Policy Center. He joins us on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Mr. Kaminar, good afternoon. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, good afternoon. Glad to be here. What exactly, uh, we're all hearing about it, uh, most of us are hearing about it for the first time this week. What is the Penn-Biden Center? Yeah, the Penn Biden Center is a quote-unquote think tank, if you can use that adjective to describe Joe Biden. Mm. Uh, Anyway, it's a think tank that is part of the University of Pennsylvania, uh, uh, Ivy League school based in Philadelphia. The think tank, the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement is the full name, was open uh, here in D.C. in February 2018, and uh, that was uh, about uh, uh, you know after uh, Biden and, and Obama uh, left uh, office, right? Uh, 2017, and so uh, what that became is sort of a a perch for Joe Biden to uh, hang his hat as well as. Uh, his now current Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, who was the managing director of this think tank, Mm -hmm. and a half dozen other uh, policy uh, wonks who are now in the State Department, the Mm -hmm. White House, Defense Department, et cetera. So this Biden Center, uh, the genesis of it is after Biden left office uh, in January 2017, the, he went to the University of Pennsylvania, and the next month uh, in February, uh, they gave him a uh, honorary professorship, where he gave uh, half dozen lectures and got uh, over nine hundred thousand uh, dollars in in fees, mm-hmm. which was totally outrageous. And then they opened the Biden Center to make this more permanent uh, his position, and so. That was opened here. Now, the question we're uh, looking at and have looked at is where do they get all their money? 
right you know, to find this uh, 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 Biden Center here in DC they they've got uh, prime real estate offices uh, uh, overlooking the Capitol building 14,000 square feet plus uh, uh, furnishings etc and so um, we discovered that the University of Pennsylvania has received uh, over uh, now $80 million in donations from China, uh, the Communist China sources there. And of that, some 20 some million is listed uh, as anonymous. Uh, so we don't know who is actually the actual source in China of the money, whereas the other listings, and we have this all on a five-page spreadsheet where they list various uh, entities, financial institutions, and other businesses, and so forth, uh, by name. But mm -hmm. uh, a lot of this money came rolling in. There's one donation of $14.5 million from mm -hmm. a single anonymous source that came in after the Biden Center opened its doors. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the University of Pennsylvania, when we repressed them about all this Chinese money, they said, oh, we, we don't solicit Chinese money to go to the Biden Center. The Biden Center is funded by money from our coffers, our, our general treasury. But, you know, it, it, it's, you know, the, the China's not giving the money to the University of Pennsylvania to fund their music department. No, they're, they're giving it to fund their international programs that deal with uh, establishing better relations with China of which the Biden Center is front and center. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of Chinese money coming there, and um, uh, there's a lot of payback going on. Uh, Joe Biden uh, nominated and the Senate confirmed Amy Gutman, who's the president of the University of Pennsylvania, to be our ambassador to Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, he then appointed the uh, chairman of the Board of Trustees of the University of Pennsylvania to be our ambassador to Canada. Uh, and so there's all this Chinese money, and, and now um, there's clearly influence there along with Hunter Biden, who, uh, as we all know, was on the take of, with Chinese mm -hmm. uh, Chinese energy company getting millions of dollars. And, well, uh, so let, let me just so we don't run out of time. Let me just jump in here. So I, I I get that they directly or indirectly funded the establishment of his think tank. Uh, right. Who who was who who might have had uh, who might have been in there? Who had a key uh, to this place besides Joe and uh, Joe Biden? I mean, were there were there Chinese nationals that could? That, that office well, there or uh, went there or do what do we know about how how direct is the connection i guess yeah well no i mean the connection is is not so much who went there but what kind of pr propaganda was this biden center spitting out uh mm. well they have an annual china summit conference and they had one in january 2020 just as the pandemic was breaking out and mm. they had the council general from new york be their keynote feature speaker and did not one peep about how the COVID has started from China. So they're basically a propaganda arm, and that's mm -hmm. why the National Legal Policy Center filed a complaint with the Justice Department that both the Biden Center and Hunter Biden mm -hmm. have to register as foreign agents 
with the Justice Department of, as, under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, things that need to be investigated by the House uh, Oversight Committee that's coming up. There's also a select committee on the Chinese influence uh, with the University of Pennsylvania. There's a committee going to investigate that. Mm-hmm. And then you have you know, 160 professors from the University of Pennsylvania shut down the Justice Department's China initiative that was designed to look at how Chinese nationals are infiltrating our universities, and they shut that down, or mm-hmm. Merrick Garland shut it down. So, you know, it's clear what's going on here that, uh, you know, this money is influencing mm-hmm. public policy. So you're saying this, actually, this has actually been on your radar even before we heard that there were these classified documents in a cabinet. Oh, yeah. yeah, we were on these guys since, since uh, 2020, and, and now yeah. this uh, stuff with these documents is, is a real joke here. Uh, 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 Biden says, oh, it's a surprise I found these documents in my office that my attorneys were clearing out. Well, wait a minute. You, uh, uh, you became president in January 2021. Why did it take you two years to have your... Uh, office uh, yeah. cleared out at the Biden Center. Why hire expensive Washington D.C. Yeah. attorneys to be your right. moving agents? Well, and, and I also and I, wonder. I also wonder, and I, other people have wondered too, Paul, if the documents at the Penn Biden Center are a subset, like came from the documents that were in the garage. Well, it, it could be that, and 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 you know that uh, uh, Biden is professing ignorance. Oh, I'm surprised all these documents are showing up in my garage, uh, and, and so forth. And I'm, um, I'm concerned that the attorneys spoiled some evidence here. I wanted to hopefully uh, I'll, uh, have the FBI get these documents and, and dust for fingerprints to see if we got Joe Biden's fingerprints on these mm. documents, because that would then uh, uh, refute his fact that, geez, I don't know I had these documents, which is a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, National Legal Policy, Legal and Policy Center, uh, Paul Kaminar. Paul, thank you. Appreciate this very good information, and I know there's a lot more to come, but thanks for coming on with us today. We appreciate it. You bet. My pleasure. Have a good evening. You've waited all week. You've been waiting. Monday, you got through it Tuesday, you got through it Wednesday, you started to smell it Thursday, you were right on top of it, and now it's here! It's Friday! It's time to rock and roll! Break out the speakers! Blow your cars engine out! Get home, get to your stuff, and get ready to rock because it's Friday! Whoa! The weekend starts here. He speaks for all of us. I identify with him. And I don't know, it's, this is one of those weeks, but I won't go into detail. I mean, I could. Oh, Donnie, I could. Do we, we, we only have two hours left, there isn't enough time. I won't go into detail, but it's one of those weeks, right? Where it like, it has come just in time. Uh, tonight's the night, by the way, that the Spurs are supposed to, uh, well, it's, I, I mean, they're going to break the all time single game, uh, attendance record by going back to the Alamo Dome. They've sold 64,000 tickets or something like that. And this is going to be the one time, this is going to be the one game record. Uh, all of the records that they're breaking have been set at other football stadiums like the old Silver Dome. 
Uh, but uh, this is a retro thing because it's the Spurs' 50th anniversary year in San Antonio. So they're playing Golden State tonight, and it's already uh, already the traffic is crazy. There's people already there. It's it's going to be a, a thing all night long. So if you're if you're going, you should probably be going now. <laughs> if you're not going, you should probably be staying away from the whole stretch of 35, you know, along there and just. Uh, 37, rather, along there, and just, you know, find another route, as the traffic people like to say. But it should be very exciting. Spurs and Warriors tonight at the Alamo Dome. And we we were talking yesterday about where was your favorite place to see the Spurs. And it's the, um, a lot of the answers were basically people remembering the good old days of when the Spurs were winning championships. Remember for a while there was like every other year, right? And uh, a lot of people said in so many words, you know, I don't really remember so much the, the venue. I just really miss those days. And I, I will say this. I, I've lived through, I was a Patriot, I'm, I am a Patriots fan. I was a Patriots fan for all those Super Bowls. Um, grew up in, in Boston, the Celtics, the Bruins. There are some cities that take their dynasties for granted, and don't realize till the, the dynasty is gone that they really had something. San Antonio fans are really grateful fans. We, we enjoyed and savored and appreciated all those dynasty years when they were perennial contenders. And I, I, I think, you know, who knows what the future will bring, but we didn't miss it is what I'm trying to say. Some, some people missed the moment because they thought it would last forever and, you knew it wouldn't. Uh, I think we, I think we really savored it. And um, then a lot of people also, in their response to that poll question, were 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 saying, "Well, I don't care. Who cares? Because of pop." And I, I, look, I find the guy as as disagreeable as as any of you do. I, I, everything he says grates on me. But, you know, I watch the Spurs once in a while, and I don't even think of him. I really I really don't. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but you can enjoy the team and you can be a fan of these young players, and they've got some great uh, up-and-coming young players, and just not care about him, you know? I wouldn't watch his post-game news conference because he's going to say something that will, you know, make my blood boil, but just in terms of being enjoy- they're an enjoyable team to watch. Uh, and they're a team that has given some really good teams all they could handle. And it may happen tonight. We'll see. 210-599-5555. Um, but this was interesting. There was a story this week about how they've been putting up posters in Washington, D.C. They're red, and they read... Thou shalt not kill in large white letters. They're all over the subways and they're on street poles. Thou shalt not kill. And so the media got interested. Well, where are these coming from? Who's putting these up? Who would you think would be putting up a sign like that? Thou shalt not kill. I mean, my first thought would be that maybe maybe a church was doing it. Um, and it, it turns out that it's this community organizer project, uh, 
But the city has gotten involved. The mayor of D.C., Muriel Bowser, is helping fund the posting of these signs. Thou shalt not kill. And then my thought was, well, what is that supposed to mean? It, it, it sounds like one of the commandments. But surely, don't call me Shirley, surely an elected official, surely a government entity would not be posting one of the Ten Commandments. Oh, my goodness. No, that can't be right. And then I thought, well, what would, what would the effect on anyone seeing this sign be? Like, will this stop anyone from killing someone? Is, is this the equivalent of putting up gun-free zone signs outside of schools? So, Christian, let me ask you a question, and just give me the first name that comes to mind. Who was someone you, uh, someone famous or prominent that you interviewed or you met who turned out to be way nicer, cooler, kinder, whatever, than you expected? John Taylor of Duran Duran. Really? Yep. Interesting. Yep. Was that at the height of their uh, thing or later on? No, 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 no. I was at the height. I was a kid listening to them. Um, This was in 04. They were were kind of making a comeback. Mm -hmm. I was at kind of an adult alternative station in Fresno, so... Mm -hmm. We played some of the 80s stuff, but we really, there just wasn't much of a home for Duran Duran. So it was, a, mm. it was a nice comeback. I think we gave it some token spins, but we got to go interview them in San Francisco. And so if you know anything about Duran Duran, I mean, it's, you know, lead singer Simon LeBond's been known to right. be a little on the arrogant side. Right. Um, my dad plays bass. I play, I've always liked John Taylor a lot. So, Mm -hmm. but you know, being the, the heart throbs that they used to be, you didn't know what this was going to be like. Right. He was one of the coolest guys. I I didn't expect to be able to interview him. So it was just an opportunity that came out of nowhere at the hotel. And he was answering questions like, I remember asking him, so John, what's the biggest difference between your fans today versus you know, 17, 18 years ago with Seven and the Ragged Tiger. <laughs> One time he says, well, these days they know how to put on the makeup and the hair's mm-hmm. a little better. Yeah. He's just a very cool guy. We were like 25 minutes with him. And so very nice. that was a... And then, a little quick footnote, if you don't mind. My own brother's there, and he's in charge of recording this interview. All we got out of about 20 minutes with John Taylor was mic check testing when we took it, John talking to this right quick. Okay, very good. So he paused it when he thought it was a brand new system we had as a DAT recorder. Yes. We didn't get anything. Oh. Oh, It still sickens me. I'm sorry I brought that up for you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Didn't mean to take you back to that moment. But uh, the reason I'm asking is... um, this has kind of gone viral this week, and it's a, it's a very cool little uh, moment. Uh, Kate Winslet, the uh, actress who, of course, achieved uh, you know has achieved fame in the movies and mm-hmm. has been around a long time, and and I guess you could say kind of like uh, you know John Taylor uh, yeah. at this point. Uh, Kate Winslet's been a star for a long time. Yeah, uh, she was being interviewed by a very young, almost child age uh, reporter. Uh, for the new Avatar movie, and the the interviewer is very nervous, and obviously so, 
And Kate Winslet actually gives her a little pep talk. Uh, Don, let's play this. This is cut number three. Um, it's my first time. This is your first time? Yeah. Doing it? Okay, well, guess what? When we do this interview, yeah. it's going to be the most amazing interview ever. Okay. And do you know why? Why? Because we've decided that it is going to be. <laughs> so we've decided right now, me and you, yeah. this is going to be a really fantastic interview. Okay. And you can ask me anything that you want, and you don't have to be scared. Everything's going to be amazing. Okay. Okay, you've got this. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. All right, I'm, hmm. that makes me a fan. Now I'm a fan. I, I didn't know how yep. I felt about her before, but that's so cool. I didn't either. That's that's outstanding because, yeah. as you know, um, yeah, I mean, you've done a lot. I've done a lot of interviews as well, and the interviewee is not nearly is not always that cool, right? Not at right. all. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times they've done a lot of interviews or they're doing like round robin, yeah, and they, they, you know, they you're get the tired you're the sixty eighth and... person that, that's asked them that question, and you know. Yep, that's very cool of her. To do. I'm glad I heard that. Yeah, new, new so, opinion of her. Absolutely. All right. So that's Kate Winslet uh, giving uh, reassurance to a nervous young journalist. Um, who's the nicest, famous person, celebrity, sports figure, political figure, media figure, whatever uh, you've ever met? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. And I mean. There was, I don't just mean, oh, I saw so and so at the restaurant. I mean, you, you like, you talk to them or they talk to you or, uh, something, you know, they, they, they went above and beyond your expectations. Maybe you were a fan before and you became more of one. Maybe it was somebody you didn't really care one way or the other about, but you had a chance encounter and it just, it made you a fan. Like I, I, nothing against her, but I just never, thought about her one way or the other in terms of her movies and her acting and stuff but that is such such a kind you know um small but kind thing to do and um you'd like to think that if you'd like to think anybody in her in her position would would see a person suffering from nerves and would do that but not everybody you know not everybody would 210 599 uh 5555 i don't it doesn't have to be an actress or an actor. It it can be from any uh, area of uh, fame or what have you. It can be somebody local. It can be somebody uh, national. It can be, again, from any walk of life. But somebody you met who um, su- really surprised you by how charming they were, how, how warm they were, approachable, maybe an act of kindness or took a little extra time with you. Um, I, I know that there's a lot of people that, you know, they don't like to be approached in public. Um, and I get that. I, I can understand that. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just kind of read the situation and you say, okay, I think I'm going to say something to that person. You know, I've, I've been in situations where I've seen somebody and it just looked, it just felt like, no, I'm not going to, they look like they're, you know, having a private moment, or they don't look like they're in the mood to be approached, and they're used to being recognized, so it's not like I'm going to make their day by recognizing them. I'm just not going to say anything. Um, but other times, if you just read it, you think, okay, I'm going to shake their hand, or I'm just going to quickly go up and say, hey, I really love what you do. Uh, 210-599-5555. Uh, somebody you met who, um, despite being famous, was also really nice, Sandra's on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Hi, Sandra. Hi, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. 
um, Ted Nugent in Vegas at the airport coming back to San Diego. Really? Wow. Yeah. Tell me about it. Oh, we were. I just saw him. I went up to him and told him I really liked his Cat Scratch Fever album and stuff. And <laughs> yeah. He was he was very accommodating. Yeah. And yeah, he was he was really cool, and he talked about his thing in uh, I guess Bush Fort by Bush where he lives on the ranch and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he he held a conversation, wow. and he didn't seem like he was too bothered. <laughs> yeah. Was he on your flight or just you just saw him at the airport? No, no, I just saw him at the airport. Yeah, he was that's really and you else. and so you recognized him. Were a lot of people recognizing him, or or just or no, was it only I you? So. I, th- I don't think so. Me and my husband recognized him. I don't think yeah. anybody else really paid that much attention to him. Yeah, that's neat. And and he is somebody that I guess if I thought of it, I would think well, he probably isn't a guy that likes to be. He seemed like a guy that would like to be bothered. So that's cool that he was very kind about it. Yeah, he was good about it. He, I mean, yeah, that's the impression you get. From the way he just stands there, you think, oh, should I or shouldn't I? And right. I did, and he was okay. Very nice. Very nice. Thanks, Sandra. Appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Uh, David is on KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, David. Hello, Jack. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, so who was Barbara it for you? Mandrell. Barbara, Barbara Mandrell. Mandrell. I, Where and when was this? Back in the 70s, I was doing security at the rodeo. I was a deputy constable there, and one of my assignments was to protect her as her bodyguard. And uh, after her performance, we went out to her bus. It was pouring rain. People were standing out there wanting to get her autograph, and I stood out in the rain, and she stood on the bottom step of the bus and was so so cool and so yeah. polite to people and and just she was just a wonderful wonderful person that, and and that's and that when you when you're a fan of someone that's how you imagine or that's how you want them to be but you know it's not always true no that's true but this was probably a good 30 or 40 minute wow uh, out in the rain yeah yeah that's a neat story. David, thank you. Thank you for that call. I, I don't know if it's, maybe I'm overgeneralizing. It seems like a lot of country stars have a good take on that or a good handle on that. Not that others don't, but, you know, I think of Willie Nelson and how every time Willie Nelson's ever been anywhere, uh, you just cannot, he will not let anybody go un, ungreeted or unautographed. And, and, and he's always been that way. And, um, I, I wonder if maybe in certain, kinds of music you come up through the ranks you see the older people doing that and you think as a young guy or a young gal well i need to be like them and maybe it's a tr- it's a thing that's handed down so uh we're talking about uh when you encounter a famous person and to your surprise they are kind and uh engaging and warm and and make you glad that you met them or you approached them because this obviously that you could have the other experience too, right? And there was this young journalist who was interviewing actress Kate Winslet and was very young and very nervous. And Kate could see that and wanted to put her at ease. And this little clip of video has gone viral. Let's play it again. Cut number three. Um, it's my first time. This is your first time? Yeah. Doing it? Okay, well, guess what? When we do this interview, yeah, it's going to be the most amazing interview ever. Okay. And do you know why? Why? Because we've decided that it is going to be. <laughs> so we've decided right now, me and you, yeah, this is going to be a really fantastic interview. 
Okay. And you can ask me anything that you want. And you don't have to be scared. Everything's going to be amazing. Okay. Okay, you've got this. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. You know, you think of like your own kids. I, I, I listen to that young girl and I think of my daughter. You know, I would want somebody to to treat her that way and, and be so heartwarmed if somebody did. I don't have any stories of being that young and interviewing or meeting anybody, but one of the names that, that does come to mind, um, and I, I know I've told this story on the air before, but um, when I interviewed Selma Hayek, this was now maybe almost 30 years ago, um, I, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was as intimidated as that, little girl is but but i mean i was i was sweating you know <laughs> because she's so beautiful and she was at the the height of her fame uh and she was unbelievably friendly and kind it it took me aback you know it was almost like she was trying to um like she thought her job was to you know entertain me or make me feel good and, and i i I really think, and I don't take it like, oh, she was into me. I, I really think she must be that kind of person all the time. I think, I think that's what appeals to us when we meet people like this just for a moment, like Sandra meeting Ted Nugent at the airport. There's nothing in it for these people to put on a front or an act. So this is probably really how they are, you know? And it's, and it feels good to be a fan of someone who also happens to be a very decent, uh, human being. All right. So you, somebody famous you met. Who was warm and and engaging and and left a good impression, and um, let's see here. Tom is on KTSA. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jack. How's it going? Happy weekend. Hey, Tom. Who was who your uh, who was in your story? Uh, the one I called about, and but I want what. Let me, let me just say, Tedley, Uncle Ted, is the greatest guy in the world. I've I've met him five six times. He's he's just a Terrific guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, previous caller, but anyway, I, I want Charles Durning. Hello. Yeah. Hey. Okay. I'm sorry. I was. I, was, I, I. I thought we dropped you there for a minute. What, you, so you met Charles Durning? No. Char. Yes. Absolutely. And like the guy previously, it was at the San Antonio Rodeo, and. Uh, my son, who at the time was about six, uh, we were coming out of the bathroom, and he was coming into the bathroom, and I recognized him, and I greeted him, and I, I just stuck my hand out, and he said, did you wash your hands? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you never, Tom, you never shake not, hands in the bathroom. No, it's not in the bathroom. It was. I know, but you were coming out. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, what did you guys talk about? We talked about all kinds of stuff. We probably talked for like fifteen minutes or so. And I brought up his. Yeah, I brought up his war service and how much I appreciated what he had done during World Uh War II. Uh You know, he was a POW and Mm -hmm. and escaped. I mean, he was he he was just the most outgoing, friendly old guy I, I had met in a long time. You know, oh, that's very just, nice. He was wonderful, and I'll never that's forget cool. it. And I introduced him to my little boy. You know, mm. who, like I said, at the t- he's thirty now, but at the time yeah. he was six. And um, 
And the same day, the same day I met Molly Ringwald. They oh. were, I don't know, they were there together, or but they were both at the fucking Brody. <laughs> I doubt they were there together. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's it. That's my story. Okay. All right. All right, Tom. You. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah, I think you got to, the whole thing with the bathroom, though, you got to watch that. Uh, Brian is on KTSA. Hi, Brian. Hey, Jack. So I have a story that is just amazing. It has to do with the first Bush president, uh, George H.W. Bush. Okay. So back in the early 90s, I was a student at Rice University. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a campus job that went until 7 in the evenings. Uh, and then I also had a 7 o'clock class halfway across campus. So the teacher knew that I was going to be late for, for class pretty much every every week when we when we met. Right. Well, one day I got to the, the building where the, this class was. It was in the student center. It was in the basement of the student center. And the student center was just packed with people. And so here I am, like maybe 10 minutes late for class because I had just gotten off of, of work. And I am weaving through all of these people. And all of a sudden, I literally run into someone. I look up, and it is President Bush. This wow. is about maybe a year after he had gotten out of office. Looking wow. back on it, I'm kind of surprised that I wasn't, you know, detained by secret service. Right, or, or worse, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so I ran into him, and, and, and immediately I looked up and knew who it was and apologized. And it turns out that he was there to speak at a a, a, a lecture honoring some some honor students. And uh, I, I'm I'm late for class, so I, I'm I'm really just trying to get past him and get to class. But he just stopped me and wanted to talk. And he talked about all the different classes I was in. I was there for in that in that class a, a, a appreciation of jazz, and he started talking to me about some of his favorite jazz artists. And huh. he, he probably talked to me for at least five six minutes. And I wasn't even one of the honor students that he was there to <laughs> to meet and greet with. with. Yeah. But he just took yeah. time to to really talk to me, and wow. uh, it, it ultimately ended with me saying, "Mr. President, I'm really sorry, but I'm late for class. I need, I need to I need to go." Now I gotta. So just, I, I'm I, laughing because I, I totally get that you were trying to get to class on time. But when I, when you when I hear you telling this story, my thought would be, I can miss a class, right? I'm I'm meeting the president of the United States. You know, one oh, class won't make a di- five years from now won't make a difference. I'm going to take all the know, time I, I can take. Absolutely. And when I got down to the the class, I, I explained to the professor what had just happened, and he was astounded at who I had just met, and and thought it was really neat as well. That is neat. Uh, yeah. But that just remains, you know, one of my all time favorite celebrity encounters because, again, he, he was the president just less than a year out of office and second of right. all uh, he wasn't there to talk to me he was there to meet with other honor students yeah. and and he just took and what i thought was a, a, an unusually long time to to sit and chat with me for or stand and chat with me for a while that is a great that is a great story and it, it i guess you literally ran into him so that is that is very cool george hw yeah. bush brian have a great weekend sir thank you for the call um certainly everybody has always attested to how personally warm he was and he was renowned for writing personal no- handwritten personal notes to people all through his public life uh 210 599 
55. That's coming up as we kick off the weekend, kick into the weekend. And we're talking a little bit here um, about that moment when you recognized um, and maybe introduced yourself to someone famous, from famous in any way, locally famous, nationally, internationally. Uh, doesn't have to be a movie star or a rock star. Could could just be somebody famous for public life or uh, famous in their field. You recognized them. You said something, and they turned out to be really great, really cool, not brush you off, not just polite, but really warm and friendly. Um, I was thinking about people I've interviewed, and, of course, it's not a great example because you – you know when you're interviewing someone, there's usually a, 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 an agenda, right? Like they they usually are promoting something. Um, but one interview I did do that seemed different, um, I had the chance re- re- really very shortly before he passed away uh, to interview Mike Connors, uh, the television star. And the only reason we did it, this was at the other station, was because... I said to my producer one day, I would really love, I love Mannix and I would really love to interview Mike Connors, but I don't know where he is or, I, you know, if he's in any condition to do an interview. And she found him. He wasn't doing anything. He was totally retired from acting and just, you know, kind of in the proverbial rocking chair. And I didn't know if he'd want to talk about, you know, stuff he had done 20, 30 years earlier. Well, he, he, just came alive. I mean, he had stories, he laughed, he loved and remembered all the details. We talked about uh, all the the different uh, cars he drove on the show because I'm a car nut and he is too, or was. Um, I, I cracked a couple of jokes about the show, like in every episode, the character gets hit over the head. But it, it was one of those interviews that, that wasn't to promote anything and he wasn't, he wasn't active anymore. He didn't have anything to sell. And he was just grateful that somebody remembered and appreciated his body of work, which I definitely did. So a lot of the celebrity interviews, even if they go really well, it's, it's in, it's in promotion of something they're trying to, you know, get, get out there. So you, when somebody just gives of their time and there's nothing in it for them, that feels to me, that feels even better. And I really appreciated him, and I just had you know kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of idol worship for him because it was such a great show. It still is. I still watch Mannix. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. All right, uh, famous person, famous encounter, and Patrick is on the radio. Patrick, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Well, my chance encounter was in Paris with Catherine Deneuve. Oh, uh, Par- you were in Paris with Catherine Deneuve. I How in the heck did her. that happen? That was not, I wasn't with her. That was the encounter. So here's the deal. Remember Freddie Laker and Skytrain when he was offering uh-huh. eight flights to Europe? Right. Well, I right. decided I had 30 days leave to burn up. So I decided I was going to use it. So I grabbed the backpack, stuck an American flag on it, and off I went. So I did the Scotland, Ireland, uh, England tour, took the uh, ferry from uh, Dover, I think it was, to Calais, and took the train into Paris. Well, in Paris, there's this train station called the Gare du Nord. It's on the north mm-hmm. side. So yeah. I had one semester of uh, French from Saxe, and uh, I uh, was on my way, and I'm trying to figure out the metro, and I'm standing there looking at this map, and I'm trying to figure out where I'm going. Well, 
out of the corner of my left eye, I see this entourage coming with this lady up in front, and I didn't pay much attention to her because I figured she wouldn't pay attention to me either. Uh, I was in my late 20s at the time. And so she walks up to me, puts her hand on my shoulder, and says, can I help you? And I'm still looking at the la- at the map. You know, she's pe- speaking uh, English. And uh, so I, I'm looking at the map, and I'm showing her, well, I'm here, and I'm trying to go out here to the Italian section. Mm. And then she starts explaining it to me and this and that and the other. And then I looked up. And she looked at me, and I looked at her, and the back of my brain said, "No way!" <laughs> and it was it was her. If you think I was wow. lost when I had the map in my hand, when I yeah. saw her, I was really lost. <laughs> yeah, I would completely forget everything at that point. So she was just passing through and saw somebody that looked like they needed help. Yeah, she she I guess she saw the flag on my bag and figured out. Well, the clothes I was wearing were not European, so I was a dead ringer for an American. Yeah. But no. she saw that I was lost and had, didn't have a clue where I was going. She got she went out of her way. She wow. told the folks to stop. They were getting ready to get on the train, and she came up and she pointed me. She, if you look up the the word gracious in the dictionary, mm. you're probably going to see her face. Mm. And unfortunately, this was before the era of camera phones, or you would have absolutely had that selfie, right? Oh, I wouldn't have been able to. I was, I was, I was so stunned. I didn't know what to say. Like all I said was "thank you" when she yeah. was walking off, and I'm sitting there. This was yeah. astounding. Well, so it was definitely worth the trip. I don't, I don't know what else happened to you on that trip, but it, the whole thing was worth it for that moment, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Very I good, Patrick. Thank you. That's a great one. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. John is on KTSa. Hi, John. Hello, Jack. Um, I had an encounter with Chris Christopherson when he was filming a movie called Two for Texas, but I want to give a time reference. That was when Sean Penn had a movie out called uh, Dead Man Walking, so we'll file oh, yeah. that and pull it out later. All right, so I'm, I'm playing the part in, in this movie as a dead man at the Alamo, and it's an October day, blue sky, but it was about 90 degrees, a little bit hot, and so we're getting set ready for... Um, the entrance into the Alamo after the battle, and I'm playing the dead man and laying there, and they're taking their time. So Chris Christopherson is just sitting on a park bench right off camera, just watching the whole thing, just sitting there by himself. And um, you know, I started sweating, and I hollered out, make up, dead man sweating. And Chris fell out. He thought that was pretty good. So that was my encounter. And he Wow. Had, I don't know if he stays in character all the time or if that's just his real persona. Huh. What you see on the screen is what you get. So if we watched that movie, you'd be the dead guy. <laughs> well, then later I was uh, at the Battle of San Jacinto, and I was a Texan. So oh, I played. how did you pull that off? Uh, the magic of the cinema. The- <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. All right, very good. Well, it, we learned a little about your acting credits and Chris Christopherson, too. John, thank you. I appreciate the call, sir.
one of the uh, songs released by Lisa Marie Presley, uh, who passed away last night and uh, had a little bit of a recording career and uh, is being remembered by a lot of Elvis fans today and uh, kind of shocking. Uh, she was just at the Golden Globes a few nights ago. Um, coming up after 6, we'll talk restaurants on the dish. You can praise or zing uh, your most recent San Antonio, South Texas restaurant experience. And we're kind of talking about experiences of another kind here. We, we've been kind of uh, getting into this because of the viral uh, video clip of an interview with a young journalist uh, nervously, anxiously interviewing actress Kate Winslet and how kind and, and calming Kate Winslet was to this this young woman in Germany as she's promoting the new Avatar movie. So uh, it kind of put me in mind of if you've ever been somewhere and accidentally ran into, encountered, met, shook the hand of somebody famous, whatever, in any way, uh, what was that like? And uh, Danielle is on KTSA. Hi, Danielle. Hi. <laughs> um, so it was about uh, 20-some-odd years ago, I worked for USO Metropolitan Washington in D.C., mm-hmm. and we had um, – we always did events and stuff for the troops, and and one um, one event was a meet-and-greet with Muhammad Ali and his wife, of course, was – I guess, like his manager and stuff at the time. And he was, he wasn't very verbal then. Um, he had kind of progressed a little bit, but he was mobile. Mm-hmm. He was moving. And he stood in, in this big like auditorium for about three or four hours and just met every person that came in that, that um, ballroom. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one point the president of USO went up to his wife and said, you know, um, do we need to like cut the line off? And one of the things that I was most impressed about it is she just said, no, you need to leave the doors open. Whoever comes in, he wants to meet them. He won't want to turn anyone away. And he literally stood up there and would put his, his fist up and hat and, you know, have the young soldiers or, um, families or whatever, put their hands up like they were going to box him. And he was just, he was just so fun. And it was nice that, I mean, even though he couldn't really talk to anyone, all his Mm. facial expressions, he just really wanted to meet every one of those Mm. soldiers that came in there. And that was just, it was really neat. Um, And then of course he passed away a few years after that, but that was a a really cool experience of all my USO time that he, he was the the best, I think. So interesting. Wow that that is a very nice story. I, I think it's it's nice when somebody who knows that just meeting them will be such a an, a big deal to the people there that that he's meeting. He just he he didn't want anybody to miss out on that. You know, he didn't want anybody to come and say, "Well, I got there too late," or I, "He was tired and I didn't get to meet him." That's a great that's a great story. It puts me in mind of a quote I saw about Kobe Bryant. Uh, they asked him one time about playing with injuries. And he said, well, you know, when I, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't know what his exact words were, but the gist of his answer was that he would um, always try to play, especially road games, because there would be people in those cities that had saved up to see him. And that's not vanity. That's just awareness of your greatness and your fan base that Kobe knew he had fans all over the country, not just in L.A. And, and um 
you didn't want somebody who maybe had saved money and had scrimped and saved and looked forward to it and made arrangements to be at a game where the home team was playing the Lakers and then not see, you know, Kobe play. And I know that stars are rested and do rest and there's all kinds of strategies and why teams do that. But, um, I also, I like the way he was thinking in that, uh, in that moment. Let's get one more here with April on KTSA. Hi, April. Hi. I have a secondhand story, but my okay. dad and Chuck Yeager. Oh, wow. Uh, we were stationed at Edwards Air Force Base when they were filming the right stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my mom heard the casting call and dressed up my sisters and I and went down to audition as extras. And of course, didn't make it. But then somebody saw my dad on base and was like, hey, come here. <laughs> So he was in the bar with Chuck Yeager shooting the stuff. Unfortunately, he didn't make the film. He hit the cutting room floor, but he has the story of being at the bar with Chuck Yeager, drinking watered down tea, shooting the stuff. Hey, you know, that's not, that's not half bad. Even if it doesn't make the movie, just to be able to say you sat with him, right? Yes. Did he have any stories or insights about what they talked about or? Well, remember when that movie was made, so. My memory from that story is, I don't, you, you know, it's been a while. <laughs> I understand. Listen, I'm no one to talk about memory. I get it. But that's a, that's a very cool story. And what a, what a, what a giant of men Chuck Yeager was. Um, yes. that's a, that's really cool. And, and just the fact that you remember it really says a lot. So April, thanks. Appreciate all the calls on this. Thanks to everybody that, uh, got through or tried to. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread had a fight. Beans knocked cornbread out of sight. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. I'll be ready. I'll be ready tomorrow night. And now that we've had the news, it's time. Well, I mean we got to eat, right? It's time, it's time for the dish. It's time to talk restaurants. It's the last hour of the last show of the week. And it's all about your most recent encounter, experience, visit, delivery from a restaurant in San Antonio, outside of San Antonio, anywhere in South Texas, any kind of restaurant, any meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, brunch, Drive through, drive up, go in, take it out. It can be a mom and pop place. It can be a white linen tablecloth place. It can be a chain. It can be an independent. I just want to know what, what's good. Uh, what should we order when we go there? That's, that's really the kind of call people make to the dish. It's not a restaurant review. It's, it's the way you would recommend a restaurant to a friend or a coworker. Or you would tell your husband or tell your wife when you got home, oh man, I tried a place today. I can't wait to take you there. 210-599-5555. Um, on the dish, um, any kind of restaurant, we ask that you either praise or zing. Where's the beef? <laughs> there you go. Praise or zing. Any restaurant in and around San Antonio and please have the complete correct Name of the restaurant you're calling about when you call the dish. 210-599-5555. Now I gotta say, and I'm, um, I'm almost a little sheepish. I'm almost a little sheepish that I had not tried this place sooner. And when I explain what it is, you'll, you'll know why I'm sheepish. Because this place is right next to a restaurant I love to go to. 
And I had just never tried this place. And I love bagels. Love them. Love them. It comes from being up north, I guess. And there are not that many great bagel places in San Antonio. I'm not saying there are none. There just aren't that many. They're not ubiquitous like they would be in a northern city. But uh, last weekend, I finally went to Boss Bagel. Boss Bagel is on North New Braunfels, right next to uh, Julian's. Or like a couple of doors down, maybe. But same shopping center, Sunset Ridge Shopping Center. And I'd seen it. I'd driven by it. And I knew it was there. And I was, I'd, I'd meant to go. I think I'd even tried to go one time. And I just ran out of time. This is not far from the radio station. And I went last Saturday or Sunday. I forget one of those two. And man, were they good. I mean, I had a bagel sandwich there. And then I, I bought a half dozen to take home. And I've had them all this past week. And they have a ton of varieties, all these different kinds of bagels. And then they have, they actually have a lot of different cream cheeses, which I did, I'm just a regular cream cheese kind of guy, but if you want flavored, they have sweet ones and jalapeno ones and garlic ones. And, um, if you're into that and they have, like I said, they have all these different, if you want to get a bagel sandwich, not just a bagel with a, with a smear, but if you want to get like a sandwich, they do that. Uh, they have a lot to choose from. And delicious coffee, really well made and perfect to go with the bagels. And so, highly recommend it. Uh, 6458 North New Braunfels Avenue, Boss Bagel. Mm hmm. Yeah, nice place inside, too. Nice people. All right, 210 599 5555 as we talk restaurants on the dish and get your praises and zings. And Stephen is going to get us started on a Friday night on KTSA. Happy Friday, Stephen. Happy Friday, you too. I just want to praise a restaurant that was really good. I went to First Friday last Friday, and I'm walking around Alamo Street, like between Rosario's and I think it's Perita, and they have all these old houses that some have little restaurants in them. And this one was right next to the pop-up market called Pizzeria Vestiria, a little old quaint house. And they have several like tables out in front you can sit at. Um, mm-hmm. And then they had somebody playing guitar on the little uh, front porch. Um, you go through the house. I actually ate in the backyard, which is really quaint too. They had another uh, porch with a guy playing guitar back there. It's real private. There's like fenced in area and they have that fake grass, which looks really nice and clean. It's a big trees and all. And, um, I got like the meat lovers pizza and it was excellent. excellent. Wow. Very nice. So you just you basically walked up on it. It was kind of spur of the moment. You said, I'm going to try this. Yeah. Kind of. I just tried to figure out what to eat and I went into the place and, um, the owner met me. It was real nice and said, just sit in the back. We'll take care of you and stuff. And first I was just going to order a slice of pizza, and then I thought, you know, I'm just going to get a whole pizza and take the rest to go, and it was wonderful. That is my kind of thinking right there. I like that. Why stop at a slice? I like that. All right, really very good. That's our place. first call on it. Stephen, thank you. Praise for Pizzeria Vesuvio. Pizzeria Vesuvio, 1110 South Alamo in Southtown. Praise on the dish. Yes. I mean, a lot of times people will call and say, well, I, I read about it uh, online, I saw the Facebook page, somebody told me about it, I read a review. But, but I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm most enamored of when people just say, I'm going to take a chance on this. I, who knows what's going to happen? What's the worst that could happen? I love that. I wish I did more of that, so I guess I admire it when you do. Uh, 210-599-5555 on the dish. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant 
experience. We were um, we were talking about George H. W. Bush last hour on the show. This is kind of a weird non sequitur item, but I was looking at the This Day in History list. Do you remember, this was the day in 2002, and I, I do remember this, it seems like a million years ago now. This was the day in 2002 when George W. Bush, Bush 43, not Bush 41, apparently choked on a pretzel while watching football at the White House. He actually passed out. And at the time, there was like a whole conspiracy theory, what really happened, they're not telling us, he's something, this isn't what, this couldn't have been it, there must have been more. There was all that, and then there were also a lot of jokes about it, because, you know, he was, George W. Bush was obviously a golden era for comedians. Will Ferrell, remember Will Ferrell? Yeah. But yeah, this was the day that he had the encounter with the pretzel, so. I think every presidency has, like, one moment, you know, Ford biting into the tamale or, you know, Carter with the rabbit in the pond or Biden falling up the stairs. Well, Biden's had a lot of them. <laughs> he's um he's ahead of his pace, I think, uh, for the first two years. But anyway, um, yeah, this was uh, George W. Bush almost, so. And we're talking restaurants on the dish. We're talking about your most recent, uh, when you went out to eat or got food delivered or drove through and where you went and want to hear about that. That's the dish, 210-599-5555. And Paul is on the radio. Happy Friday night, Paul. Hey, thanks, Jack. Hey, um, I was eating at Jersey Mike's off of Hebner Road, and uh, the manager came over and said, so how do you like the sandwiches? And I said, oh, they're great. And we started chit-chatting. And I said, you know, uh, I can't find in San Antonio a good Philly steak sandwich. There's a good place in New Braunfels that makes them, but, you know, I just can't. And then he paused and he looked at me and he says, I challenge you. He says, we have a sandwich. It's called the number 99. It's not on the menu. And he Mm. says, you come in next time and you order it. I'll make Mm. you a Philly sandwich and you'll, you'll be impressed. And I said, well... You know, I've had them around San Antonio, and they're dry. I mean, they're legit. Everything's legit on them, but they're dry. And I said, you know, I want a juicy sandwich. He mm-hmm. says, trust mm-hmm. me. I went back, man, and he nailed it. Nailed it. Oh, my God, it was tasty. And, I mean, I just, it was just unbelievable. And now, then I, I could no, I, wait, wait, Hold, hold so on just close. a minute. Hold on, because I'm a little confused. Don't they have a, I mean, right on their menu, uh, they have Philly cheesesteak sandwiches. So this was one that was different from the one they have on their menu? I went on the website. I went on the web, and they said that actually this is a hidden item, number 99. They said okay. they have something called a 56 that's that's close, but it's not a Philly steak. And uh, the only caution to the audience I would make is that what I found out is they put jalapenos on the sandwich, and me and jalapenos don't get along. So I had them remove it, and boy, yeah. I love the sandwich. It was just unbelievable. Well, so I went put, back a second uh, time. Yeah, did they put peppers on it, or uh, besides jalapenos? Yes. Or? Okay. Yes, they put peppers. They put they put everything that's normally on it. I mean, it's right. loaded with cheese. The meat right. is wonderful, and their yeah. and their bread is good uh, normally. So yeah. Yeah. just 
I mean, it was a really good sandwich. So I went back the second time. I made the mistake of not telling them to hold the jalapenos, and my uh, my palate just lit up. <laughs> but yeah, I pulled yeah. most of them off. Yeah. But, okay, that's uh, great to know. Uh, give it a try. So order the number 99. 99, but if you don't like jalapenos, let them know. <laughs> but let them know if you don't want the jalapenos. Fantastic. That's good advice. Thank you very much. That's great advice, Paul. Thank you. I, I really like Jersey Mike's. I even have their app, which is rare for me. Um, I, I do like their regular stuff. Um, I've had a few different things there that I've really liked and have ordered more than once. And I, I feel like I may have had their, I think they call it their famous Philly or Philly famous or something. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, it's not um, bad. It's, but I did not know that there was one like like a like a secret one beyond the one that's on the menu. So that's very insider information. I like that. A little insider trading. And it's... I, I'm, I'm, Number 99, is that what it is? Yes. The secret number? Hmm. Like Agent 99 on Get Smart. That's how I'm going to remember it. Barbara Feldman. But the, the, the no other... No one else the, got that but you. The Yes. I, the Philly cheese that's on the menu, that that's actually... It can be dry. Some I've, I've had one that was a little dry, mm-hmm. but uh, but they're not too mm-hmm. bad as well. But I, yeah. I'll yeah, have to try this other That's one. good to know. I always like when you have that, uh, you know, you like your order that secret thing that's that, and you kind of... You kind of give them that knowing look, you know, like, uh, hey, uh, just between you and me, you know, I feel, kind of feel like a secret agent, you know, like you're making a little, uh, you're making your, your connection there. All right, 210-599-5555, praise for Jersey Mike's, and you can call in to praise or zing a recent restaurant experience that you've had here in town or around town or outside of town. 210-599-5555 says here that, um, uh, the used car market is starting to slow down. Uh, analysts had projected uh, that uh, the used car price bubble, if you don't know this, used cars have been insane the last couple of years. And it's a combination of the shortage of chips and the cutbacks of new car production and the skyrocketing prices of new cars, they're, they're getting them at or over MSRP, which, you know, back in the day, you and I would never pay MSRP if we bought a new car. So anyway, used cars have been up and popular and people that never bought a used car are now buying them. So the, the bubble was supposed to pop last year and it didn't. And now, uh, the prices are dropping. In fact, they're dropping so fast that CarMax is apparently just about ready to, you know, bite the dust. And um, they say it is it is turning into a more favorable. If you're getting ready to to buy a used car, it's turning into a more favorable uh, market. And we'll talk more about this next week. We're gonna have our car guy on the show to talk about this. But uh, but it, it caught my eye because I'm in the market. I'm about to be in the market uh, for a used car, and I've been kind of waiting, holding off, because yeah, the prices are just unless you unless you have to have one. The prices have not been favorable uh, for anything, or at least anything I would want. So looks like that's starting to change, which is good. Still true that some things that go up must come down, right? 210-599-5555. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. says here that a lady in Oregon who lost, uh, who, uh, who United Airlines lost her luggage uh, four years ago, during a flight home from Chicago, just got her suitcase back this week. April Gavin is her name. She posted on TikTok about how her luggage was lost 
uh, when she was flying home from a business trip in August of 2018. After several months of searching, the airline told her they couldn't find it. It was a mystery. They compensated her for some of what she lost, but she said not all of it. She gave up on it, and then she got a call this week to her amazement saying that her suitcase had turned up at an airport in Houston. She was even more surprised when they told her it had arrived on a flight from Honduras, a place she's never been. She says, who knows where else it went? Uh, the bag was slightly damaged and worn out, but its contents were intact. And the airline blamed improper barcoding for the mystery. Imagine getting it back after four years, you know? I would have been worried that that, uh, that dude from the Department of Energy had it. That would have been my, check with it. If you're, if you're a lady and you lose luggage, they need to check him first. All right. Before they go to Honduras. But, but like, I don't understand with the, the way these things are barcoded and scanned and whatnot. I could see it being sent to the wrong city and then just staying there. But like, how did it get to Honduras? And then how did it get to Houston? Again, not part of her itinerary. That's just, that is weird. I guess what it says is never give up on your luggage, right? Or never give up, period. Maybe it's an inspiring story. Maybe that's, what, it's, just, it's a story of hope. I don't know. All right. So, and of course, you know, in four years, you might not, the clothes might not be in fashion anymore. They might not fit anymore, but. I guess you're just glad to get it back. It feels like, feels like finished business. Like, okay, now everything is, everything is in its place. I've got my suitcase back. So I never lost one that long. I've, uh, I've had them delayed a couple of days and that can be a pain in the neck. If, if, if the one they lose is the one that has all your clothes in it or most of your clothes in it, that can be a, that can be a problem. But, um, there's a lot of, a lot of funny stories people have of how they dealt with or, you know, uh, coped with having their luggage disappear and being, you know, being on an important trip, going to a job interview, uh, meeting, you know, meeting their, their future in-laws for the first time and not having any clothes, you know, change of clothes to wear and all different things like that. So she had a happy, uh, outcome. San Antonio's News Talk Station 1071 and 550 KTSA. Jack Riccardi coming up. The results on the JR poll. Your calls on the dish as we talk restaurants of all kinds, all locales. Ken is on KTSA. Happy Friday night, Ken. Hey, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Pretty good. Hey, just real quick, I wanted to do a shout out for Mr. Juicy Burger. Uh, it's there on San Pedro and Hildebrand across from the original Taco Cabana. Um, oh, yeah. It's just a great hamburger place. I think it's, you know, a standalone, definitely not a chain. Uh, the burgers are good, nice and juicy, as in the name, and staff is friendly. And, um, you know, you'll see everybody in there from at lunchtime from lawyers to construction guys and um, everybody in between. Hmm. Is there a particular burger you like or like your favorite thing on the menu that everybody should try or 
Uh, it's just the, the, the cheeseburger, the juicy cheeseburger with everything mm-hmm. on it. Uh, they got their secret sauce and you know, onions, you know, tomato, every, everything. And their fries are good, too. Um, if Very you, good. If you want a good burger, um, highly recommend it. I hadn't been there in mm-hmm. a couple of years, but I was glad I went back. Good. Oh, great. Mr. Juicy, 3315 San Pedro. 3315 San Pedro for Mr. Juicy. Praise from Ken. And our last call on Mr. Juicy was in December of 2021. Uh, so uh, it's good to hear that they're still doing well. 210-599-5555 on the dish. We're talking restaurants. There was a story this week that in and of itself is just astonishing but there was a detail in the story i got to share with you so the story goes like this a man in shanghai china who had stayed at a hotel and claimed that they had stolen or lost his laptop while he was there became so enraged and unhinged that he drove his car right through the big plate glass doors into the lobby of this hotel. Now picture a grand, you know, huge sprawling lobby with marble floors and beautiful furnishings. This dude drove his car like a sports car in crashed through the window, drove around in the lobby and uh, destroyed uh, furniture. Uh thankfully did not um injure in anyone. The man was 28 years old. He'd had a dispute with hotel staff. And I watched the video. And I don't know if anyone else, if this, if this stood out to anyone else. I mean, it's, it's insane. It's crazy. You should never do this, you know. But the guy used his directionals while he was driving around in the lobby. So help me God. I cannot imagine who he was signaling. I mean, we can't get San Antonio drivers to use them on our roads when there's other people who would like to know what you're going to do next. We're all dying to know, are you are you going left or right? Or, or, you know, you can't get people in San Antonio. Their hand will not go to the lever. They can't do it. They can't. I'm, I'm saying directionals. You know what I mean? Blinkers, right? This guy is driving his car in a lobby of a hotel. And he used the, not once, but more than once, he signaled. So he's he's simultaneously the worst driver in the world and somehow considerate at the same time. Like, I don't, it doesn't make sense, but none of it makes sense. I don't know what happened to his laptop. Maybe it's in. Maybe it's in Honduras with that lady's suitcase. I don't know. Uh, 210-599-5555. Fortunately, no one was injured. Uh, Let's see. Sharon is next on the dish on KTSA on a Friday night. Happy Friday, Sharon. Hi. Happy Friday to you, too. I was calling the the gentleman about the Philly cheesesteak sandwich. Oh, yeah. I... um, I'm not a connoisseur or anything, so, but I, for years, have driven by, um, it's it's called Gino's Deli. It's on oh, yeah. the corner of Hebner and uh, 
Lock Hill Selma. Yeah, Lock Hill Selma. Thank you, Lock yep. Hill Selma. And um, I stopped there one day, and I got their signature Philly cheese sandwich, and it was wonderful. And then about a month later, uh, I took my husband there, and he loved it too. And so it's just, it was just great. And the the people there, they're uh, the service is good, and it's it's just it's not a fancy place. It's just mm-hmm. kind of down home. And your first time you go there, they give you a free drink and free chips. So it's just I I thought it was really good. That does sound good. Um, I've never tried the Philly cheesesteak there. I'm going to have to do that. But yeah, it's a famous place. It makes I don't know if you know this or not. It makes a lot of statewide lists of the best restaurants in texas uh that's how that's how famous gino's deli is at, at the corner of hebner and lock hill selma sharon thanks for the call on the dish tonight you have a good weekend take good care and praise for gino's deli we've been getting calls uh, going back to 2010 uh they're all praise and um i'm looking here a uh, number of them have mentioned uh, the Philly cheesesteak and, and other things. Caller from 2017 mentioning it. Uh, 210-599-5555. Praise or zing. Your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. And EC is on the radio. Hi, EC. Happy Friday night. Hey, Jack. Good to see you. Here you. I've been out of town for a week, so I had to get my Ricardi fix. So, uh, I'm driving and that's one I usually listen to you. So appreciate it. I appreciate that, sir. Thank you. Yeah. I haven't heard it in a while. Uh, I listen all I can, but uh, for an upscale place, I love Bohannon's downtown. Yes. Uh, I'm a big steak eater, and uh, if you want to go out and have a special meal, that's that's a good place to go. We go uh, pretty regular for birthdays, Christmas Eve, and holidays, and, you know, a good sundown. We'll go for a special occasion like that. It doesn't take much. But yep. Mark Bohannon is uh, is the chef there, and I, he does a super job. Uh, I'm a New York Strip guy, but I, they're all pretty good. I've had them all, and uh, I'd recommend it if you if you want to have one, have a good steak. That's a good place to go. That is a phenomenal place. Yeah, I haven't been there in a long yeah. time, but you're right. It is. It's a it's a real uh, staple of of Houston Street. Kind of anchors the whole street right across from the Majestic. Um, I'm with you on that. And you're right. I mean, it really is for a lot of people. That's their special occasion, like their anniversary kind of place to go. It is. And it's any time's good, but it's sure good for those. Well, sir, I'm glad you're back in town. I'm glad you called us. Hope you have a great weekend. Yeah. Help out the South Texas ranchers. Eat that beef. That's right. We got to do it while we can. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Have a good night. Praise for Bohannon's 219 East Houston Street. On the dish. Bohannon's was the um, subject of, Don, you may remember this. It was one of the, or maybe before I was even working with you, Don, I don't know. But one of the most memorable calls we've ever had to the dish uh, was a caller, this was in 2010, who zinged Bohannon's. Now, we've never, ever had another zing for Bohannon's. All the calls are praised. People love it. I mean, it's it's an expensive uh, ticket, but it's it is if you're if you're celebrating a special occasion, you cannot go wrong there. But this person was upset by their experience, and of course, they proceeded to tell me 
You want to know what upset them? <laughs> Robert Duvall upset them. That's right. I, Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. This this guy <laughs> had a terrible time at oh, Bohannon's. Oh, my gosh. Bec- not that he did not like, like you, you might think, is this somebody that hates Robert Duvall? No. Mm. He felt that Robert Duvall's <laughs> presence detracted from the service he received, like oh. they were paying inordinate attention to Robert Duvall. We had, we had saved that phone call for quite some time. I, I do pl- remember that. And, and yeah. played it every now and then, and uh, <laughs> got lost out in the, the I, I ether somewhere. I think it might be, the, but, uh, that probably is the most surreal. I say one of the most. That's, <laughs> that is the most surreal call we've ever had on the dish. That was so bizarre. It could have been Charles um, Durning. <laughs> Thank God Charles Durning wasn't there, too. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I can understand if you're not starstruck or you feel like, you know, uh, hey, well, I don't care who's over there. I'm, you know, but, but to, to actually say, oh, my night is ruined. <laughs> you, you talk about first world problems. Wow. All right. So how dare Robert Duvall go out and eat dinner and disrupt other people's plans? Who does he think he is? Classified material. Next year, Corvette. What were you thinking? As I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay? So it's not like you're sitting out in the street. But anyway. It's in a locked garage. Yes, as well as my Corvette. Thank God. If only he had locked up Hunter. But just saying, you know. But I digress. Thank God. Jack Riccardi. Um, on the JR poll tonight, across all our platforms, we asked you um, for a prediction. This is not an opinion question. It's more of a prediction question. Now that we have the special counsels, will they exonerate, clear, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, both of them, or neither of them, in the matter of the papers, the papers? Uh, 52%... Uh, believe that both of them will be cleared, which I think is a good guess. 52% say both. 36% think Biden will be exonerated. 12% think neither of them will be cleared. And no one who voted today thinks that Trump will be cleared. So they, they have it in for Trump. According to the voters in the JR poll, we'll have a new question come Monday when we get started at 4. Find the JR poll anytime at KTSA.com. We're talking restaurants on the dish, 210 599 5555. You know how there's this, this been this ongoing conversation for years. People talk about work life balance and we're heading into the weekend and maybe you're very particular about, you know, you, you leave work behind. You don't bring work home. Some people are very, you know, rigid or disciplined about that. Like once I'm off the clock or once I go home, no work at home. I don't. And then other people, and I'm one of them, are kind of workaholic and it kind of bleeds over and you, you know, you kind of, you're kind of always semi aware of your email and your voicemail. Well, anyway, I was reading about a company in India. It's a tech company and they're very particular about it. They not only require um, their staff to take time off, but they fine 
employees if anyone contacts a coworker during time off. So they require you when you take the 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 PTO they want you to unplug. They want you to not check email and not be posting and not res- so much so that if someone in the business in the company tries to reach out to you that person gets fined. And apparently it's a hefty fine. It's uh, the equivalent of $1,200 if you contact a vacationing colleague. So everybody gets to uh, get this time, and they have to unplug. And they believe that if their their workers, their employees, don't do that, then the, the vacation or the break isn't enough of a refresh. It's a company called Dream Sports. So they're very particular about it. I don't know about going that far, but uh, and I'm I'm a little out to lunch on the whole work life balance thing. I think that can get a little too crazy too, or a little too earthy and crunchy. But but I do, but you know, it, there is something to be said, especially when you have a family. There is something to be said. You've got to be as available and accessible to the people who love you as you are to the people you work with. And it can, you're not a bad person if you lose track of that or lose sight of that. Everybody does. We're all trying to keep up and keep our jobs. And, and it, it, there's nothing wrong with being conscientious or wanting to help or wanting to be available if somebody needs help or needs something. But yeah, I mean, you know, I guess, I guess it depends on your life circumstances. Like if you're, if you live alone or you are alone, but, but if you've got somebody at home, just make sure you're as available to them, as accessible to them, as you are to those pesky coworkers. And of course, email has made this way harder than it used to be, right? It's not like you just check your inbox when you get back to work on Monday. Anyway, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I hope they leave you the hell alone this weekend. And come back and join us live Monday at 4 or listen on demand anytime this weekend at KTSA.com.